If you have your Bibles this morning, I ask you to turn with me to Psalm 145. Psalm 145. Today is Sunday, August the 14th. So we, this will be our last Sunday looking at the Psalms through this summer, having gone through many of them. Our intention is to give us a taste throughout, so we haven't preached through them in any series, but just kind of giving us a taste throughout the Psalms. And so I'm thankful this morning to bring Psalm 145 to you next week. Next Sunday will be a new Sunday. Next Sunday, we will uh, have our change of times. We'll be adding a third service. So we'll have three services next Sunday, 8.30, a band-led service in our student worship area, 9.40, our traditional service in this room, and 11 o'clock. I need all of you, we'll do, we'll do what we need to do here. I need all of you to be on time. That's a lot to ask, isn't it, Kevin? It's a lot to ask. But God is gracious to us, and we look forward to a new change. I told the first service, unless you're changing, you're dying, right? Unless something's moving forward, we're moving backward. And so our desire here, as we seek to encounter, help People encounter God, equip believers, engage the world, and establish the church as we seek to do those things. This is the next step in that process to reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our desire. And so we pray that we look forward to next week because I, for one, love Sundays. I don't know about you, but I love Sundays. I love being in the Lord's house. Take today, for example, uh, we hear a thanks from, from our missions president. We, we get to sing praises, and Cameron's up here belting it out. I'm singing it in the back, hoping y'all can't hear me. We get to experience baptism of three today that came to new faith in Christ. This is a joy. Not only that, to be able to gather in this space, singing, giving, hearing the word of God, friends, fellowship together. This is all about the beauty and glory of God today because none of us are in here by chance or happenstance. God has orchestrated this day. God has orchestrated this time just as God has orchestrated every step in every one of our lives. And he's brought us here and this moment, this place, this time in this room with these people, there'll never be another time just like this. There'll never be another time when we have these experiences gathered in this place with these people. And we recognize that this is all about the beauty of God. You know, oftentimes in our culture, in our society, you hear that, that our country may need something to bring everybody together, right? We need some event to bring us all together. Well, we have already had our event. Our event was the death and resurrection of our Savior. And so because of that event, you don't need anything else. We gather. We come together and we gather together. And we worship the one who rules and reigns, died for us, and now reigns for us. We worship him. And that's why we are here. And that's why I love Psalm 145. Psalm 145 is a monumental psalm of praise. And I want us to read it together this morning. It's a psalm of David, the last psalm recorded in the book of Psalms of David. He wrote over half of them. This is the last one recorded. And so I want us to read Psalm 145 together. So follow along with me. If you have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen, I believe, if you do not. Song of praise of David. 
says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raise up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open their hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. It is good for us today as we gather to read it, to hear it proclaimed, to sing it to God. We thank you for the testimonies we have already seen through baptism of those who have professed faith in you and been raised to new life. We thank you, God, for what we've been able to sing about of your blessings of redemption and how you have saved us. And we say today, as we have already sung, we declare today, Father, all we have is Christ. And Father, we're thankful, even as we declare that, that we recognize today that he's all we need. And so, God, we ask that you bless our time for your glory, for your name, as we worship you in Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. The Psalms sometimes can seem like individual songs put together, and that's the case in some places. But there are sections where there's books inside the book, if you will. We saw this a couple weeks ago when we talked about uh, the Song of Ascent, Psalm 120 through 134, those 15 that are put together there. This morning, as we look to Psalm 145, this is another book inside the book, if you will. Starting back in 138, you begin the last section of Psalms of David. So 138 through 145, I think that's eight Psalms. All of those are Psalms of David. Now, we recognize that David wrote about half or a little over half of all the Psalms, but these eight have been put together at the end of the book, I think, for a purpose. All of these songs of David sometimes have been referred to as the book of hallelujah, the hallelujah psalms. They are all giving praise to God. That's their very theme. That's their very nature. Why do we give praise? What do we do when we give praise? All of them are giving praise. And the word hallelujah simply means that. Hallelujah. Praise Yahweh. Praise God. 
And so ultimately, this hallelujah psalm, if you will, is placed here at this end, Psalm 145. As David begins this, his last one in the book, he says, I will extol you, my God and King. Now, I need you to know that when you use big words, people think you're smart. In school, kids, if you use big words, it helps you get A's, I can promise. So use them as much as you can. But this word extol is not a word we use every day in our language. It's not something off. I mean, you may, you may be, you may use it. Every, I never use this word really every day. The word simply means to praise enthusiastically. In other words, as the interpreters are reading this and writing it into English, and, and they're looking for a word here to give the sense of what David is saying, they recognize it's not just praise that David's offering, it's enthusiastic praise that he's offering. He's offering this enthusiastic praise. And so what David is calling for in this psalm is for us to come in awe of God and praise him enthusiastically. This awe of God, and A-W-E if my southern English gets in your way, this awe of God is to lead us to enthusiastic praise. And the beauty of God is to be seen here even in the writing of this psalm. As David is writing it, he takes extra special care. For Psalm 145 is an acrostic. In other words, every line begins with a letter and then a subsequent letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So line one begins with Aleph, and then line two, Baith, and then line three, Gimel, all the way down with the Hebrew alphabet. David is taking special care as he's writing this poetically to not just praise God for who he is, but that this poem in and of itself, this song in and of itself, speaks to the beauty and majesty of God. He's taking extra special care as you write that way so that you can remember these lyrics and know it. We lose that acrostic sense in the English, but it's there. And I, you, you, it helps to know that when we recognize the care David writes this with. And as he writes it, he begins, as I said, with this profound statement, I will extol you. I will praise you enthusiastically, my God and King. Now, this is no small thing. David was king. And we can recognize as you rise to that level, David, even as we read throughout the Old Testament, had everything he needed and more. David was wealthy, only to be surpassed by the wealth of his son Solomon to come after him. David had all the material possessions you could ask for. David had everything, and, and, and he was king. He ruled. He reigned. What he said went. If, if, if he said something, if he gave a command, everybody around him had to listen to him. They had to follow that command. He is king. And a little bit of that can go straight to your head, if you know what I mean. A little bit of that thinking can go straight to where you think that you don't have to answer to someone, that, that you're the final authority, that you're the one that, that, that everybody else has to look to, and there is no one greater than you, but not David here. David, in this sense, is acknowledging that there is a king greater than him. He's acknowledging that there is one who he must answer to. There's one that he must look to, that he can't do anything without the support of this king. This is his king, and he bows down to him, for this king is the king of kings. His throne is higher than David's. His throne is greater than all the thrones of the earth. His throne is the throne that is above every other throne. This is the king of kings. And in that sense, he is not distant. He is God, and as a creator God, we see a difference here for David. 
the creator God, and, and all the other religions that we see, oftentimes the gods of the other religions would simply have some creation narrative. They fought over something, something kind of accidentally happened, and whatever happened, creation came place. And the gods were distant. You had to find them. You had to go in search of them. You had, to, you had to call upon them, and hopefully they would answer you. That's how the gods of this world were in those ancient days. But David is saying, not my God. My God is king. He is not distant from us. His kingship de demonstrates his intimately being involved with all of creation. He is watching over it. He's keeping us all together. He's holding everything by the word of his mouth. God is intimately involved with everything. That's why he is king. Just like a king would be intimately involved with his kingdom, watching over it, giving its commands and decrees, making sure no army comes in to defeat it. This God is king over all. He is involved with his people. He is watching. He's not distant. He's not far. In fact, when we call on him, as this psalm says, he hears our cries. David is saying, that's my king, our God, the creator, maker of everything, our king, the ruler of all things. The ruler of all things. It is then the presence of that one that we come into. When we seek to come into the presence of God for worship, we're coming into the presence of God, the creator, and the king, the ruler, the king that is above every king. So as we come into the presence of the king, what do we come with? It would be right for us, right? If, you, if you're going to somebody's house for hospitality's sake, you bring a gift. You say thank you in some way. When you come into the presence of a king, you would come with something. You come with some gift, but what do you give to the king that has everything? You give him what he's asked us to do. He's called us to worship him. So what do we do here? We come in with our praise. Our offering is an offering of praise, of worship. That's what we give back to our king. That's what we bring. And that's what David brought. David says, and just looking at this this chapter, we'll see it kind of laid out in this next verse. Verse two, every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. These two statements I want to, to kind of flesh out. The first one, every day I will bless you. That idea of bless, praise, they go together. Every day. David is saying this is what he does. He comes to God and he blesses him. He praises him every day. In other words, not merely on the Sabbath, not merely one day a week is that the time set aside for worship. David is changing the mindset of the people of Israel even at that point. God is not somebody you don't think about and you worship him only on that one Sabbath day. And how much more so can we think of the same thing? God is one we worship every day, not just one day of the week, not just in certain seasons or certain times, not just when everything's going good or even when everything's going bad. It's not just in those moments. In fact, it's not the circumstances of our life that determines the idea or opportunity for us to worship. We worship him every day, David says. This is what he's worthy of. We worship him every day. And what does this word worship mean? The root of this, let me remind you, some of you probably already know, the root of this is worth. What is it worth? What is God worth to us? Worship in its essence is acknowledging who God is and what he has done his worth on our behalf. 
That's what worship is. If you were to take a scale, what is it? You put God on one side. What would even up that scale? There's nothing in this world that you could pour onto the other that would even up the scale for God's worth. Nothing can add up to it. What evens up the scale is simply the praise and worship of his people. That's what God calls us to do. To give him our entire life. Acknowledge who he is and what he's done. David says that's what we do. Every day, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. I love that verse because David is trying to figure out how to help us understand who God is. And all he can come up with is he's great. God is great. God is great. In fact, he's so great, you can't figure out how great he is. His greatness, as it says, is unsearchable. In other words, you can't even fathom how great God is. You can't even come to understand how great this God is that we're talking about. The God and King of the universe that I praise every day. You can't even come close to understanding his greatness. But David's going to try. David's going to try in Psalm 145. And he does just that starting in verse 8. Just skip down. We'll come back to verses 4 through 7 in a minute. In verse 8, that's what he says. He says, the Lord is gracious. Throughout Psalm 145, you see these phrases, the Lord is. And that way, David, in his, in his uh, simple way, is going to try to help us understand who God is, how great he really is. And so he says, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Verses 8 and 9 are not new in Scripture. In fact, this is a quotation, I believe, or a reference back to Exodus chapter 34. In Exodus, we, rec we remember Exodus 20, God comes down to the mountain, Moses goes up, God visits, fire, thunder, all this stuff, and God gives the Ten Commandments there, right? And remember what happened while God is coming down to his people and understand the context of Exodus. He's already redeemed them out of Egypt in slavery. He's already pulled them through the Red Sea and they crossed on dry ground. He's already marched them through the wilderness and he struck the rock and the rock poured out water for them when they were thirsty. The manna comes down from heaven every single morning. They've got everything they need. He's their protector. He's their provider. He's their preserver. He's got all of these things he's taking care of and now he's going to speak to them on the mountain and give them his word. And he goes up, Moses goes up on the mountain and he gets the word of God. Moses says, let me see your glory. He gets a little glimpse of his backside and Moses' face glows for three days. Y'all remember how this goes? If not, you can go home and read about it. It's all there. His face glows for three days. God displays himself in some glorious way. The people have been taken care of. He's redeemed them and called them out. And while Moses is up on the mountain, what do the people do? They're getting ready for Moses to come down and follow God and worship him, right? No, they're taking all their gold. They're taking all of their jewelry and they're melting it down to make a cow. I know it's crazy. All that God had done for them, they take all his gold or gold and they melt it down and they make a golden calf. And y'all know what they do to the golden calf? They bow down. They bow down to it. Now, if I was God, I'd be mad, wouldn't you? 
After all he's done, after everything he's gone through, what he's done for them and pulled them out, how he's saving them and redeeming them, told them, I'm going to fulfill the promises I made, yet they bow down to a golden cow. Moses comes down. Moses is mad. What does Moses do? He takes the two tablets and he throws them to the ground and destroys them. God, Moses worked this out. He works it out with the people. God displays his kindness in so many ways. And then God says, it's time for us to move on from here. But we need to go with these tablets and this established as we go. So he goes up in chapter 34 to make new tablets. And as he's making these new tablets in chapter 34, verse 6, the Lord comes out and the Lord's going to reveal himself to Moses again. Now, remember, it's right for the Lord to tell us who he is because if he doesn't tell us who he is, we don't know, right? And so the Lord is going to reveal himself and he says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. And listen to what he says. This is the Lord speaking. The Lord, the Lord a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Y'all see what he does. In spite of their own sinfulness of making a golden cow and not worshiping the one true and living God, the Lord provides new tablets, his word established again, and he looks to his people and says what? I am gracious. I am merciful. And what David is doing in Psalm 145 is reminding the Israelites of that moment. You remember how obstinate our forefathers were in the wilderness and how they turned against God and bowed down to a cow? You remember that? God is merciful. God is gracious. God is slow to anger with his people. What a testimony. David's saying some some hundreds of years later, He's still merciful. He's still gracious. He's still slow to anger. He's still good to all of us. Just as he was then, he still is. And David knew that. Look at his own life. Read about his little escapade with Bathsheba. Read about what happened in Psalm 51. God is gracious to him, slow to anger, rich in love. David was a living testimony just as they were in the wilderness. But let's think even thousands of years beyond that. Because David knew of God's graciousness and he believed it. But how much more should we believe it now? Just as God was gracious there in in the Exodus, calling him out and saying, I'm slow to anger and rich in love. Just as he was gracious to David when he sinned against him and turned away. So he is gracious to us. But his graciousness has been seen in the most clear way. While David saw it darkly, maybe a little bit as the scripture says, we see it clearly that his graciousness has been seen in the giving of his son through his death on the cross for our sins in resurrection. He's slow to anger with us. Why? Because he poured out his anger on his own son so that we might have life. We just sang about this testimony of what God has done for us. And so now even more so, just as they said it in the Exodus, just as David says it here, so shall we say it today, the Lord is gracious. That's why we're in here. We're in here because of the grace and mercy of God. The Lord is slow to anger. I love that. In other words, he's patient with my ignorance and my stupidity. He's patient with me when I turn from him. The Lord is gracious and merciful and slow to anger, and he is good. He's good. David says, that's who he is. That's what he's done. 
gracious, slow to anger, merciful, abounding in love. But not only that, he keeps going. Look at the second half of verse 13. The Lord is faithful in all of his words, kind in all of his works. Verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all of his ways, kind in all of his works. Verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him. Again, these are radical statements of this God who has not only created everything, reigns over everything, but is intimately involved with his people. For our, our lives are testimony of the faithfulness of this God. His works are always true. He has always done what he said he would do. He has never failed in those promises. He's never failed in bringing about. David says he is faithful. But not only that, he's righteous. Whatever he does is right. Whatever he does is what's supposed to happen. Whatever he does is true, right? That's what we're looking for. And look at his faithfulness. In his faithfulness, he upholds those who are falling, raises up all who are bowed down. They look to him and he, he sees them and he gives them food. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living creature. All of this goodness comes from God. All of it is there. It comes from him and his faithfulness, but not only that, in his righteousness. I love what it says. You are faithful and you are kind. You are righteous and you are kind. Today, we stand in here because God is faithful and righteous, and he's kind to us. He's good to us. By the way, what does Paul say in Romans 2? God's kindness that has been on display for us in his faithfulness and righteousness should lead us to what? Repentance, he says. It leads us to repentance. The first doorway into worship is to recognize that we're not worthy. God is. The first doorway is to recognize where I'm a sinner. He's not. I worship him, not myself, not anyone else. It's his kindness that leads us to this. And the Lord is near, not distant. But all who call on him, all who call on him in truth, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him. David here in direct contrast to what he had written before to what he had written before about the gods of this world, where he says that the gods of this world have eyes but cannot see and ears that cannot hear, mouths that cannot speak, arms that have no power, feet that cannot walk. The gods of this world are deaf, dumb, and mute, he says, but not our God. He's faithful. He's faithful and he's righteous and he's kind and he's good, and he's gracious, and he's slow to anger, and he's good to everybody. And he hears us when we cry. He hears us when we call out from whatever position we may be in. The God and King that David is proclaiming is all of these things. And that, my friends, is just a fraction of his unsearchable greatness. Just a fraction of it. I love to snorkel. Y'all ever snorkel? It's real hard. You just float. And I love to do it in beautiful places. You put the snorkel gear on, you float, and you see this beautiful creation. And I look down, I'm like, look, fish. Think about the vastness of the ocean. How big it is and how much display of God's beauty is in there. And snorkeling only lets you skim the top and get a little glimpse of it. That's what David's doing in Psalm 145. We're snorkeling here. We're just seeing a little glimpse of the vast greatness of God. He is merciful, praise him. 
He is gracious. He is good. He's slow to anger. He's righteous. He's faithful. He's all of these things. And that's just a little bit for all that he is is unsearchable for us. We can never find it or discover it. And we'll spend all eternity trying to know the unsearchable greatness of God and we will never reach the bottom. That's what David says. He's so great. He's so good. We will never discover it all. It's unsearchable. And that, my friends, is what worship is. Worship is not coming to get something from God, though we can ask. He tells us to ask. Worship is not just confessing our sins to God, though we should, and it's definitely a part of it. Worship is acknowledging God to be God, who he is, what he's done, recognizing his vast greatness and celebrating it every single moment. That's what worship is, ascribing to him the worth of our life. For what is God worth? What is his worship worth? Everything that we have. So Paul says in Romans 12, I lay my life on the altar of worship. I climb on that offer as an offering. And when do you do this? Every single day he's worthy. There's not a day goes by that God is not worthy of our worship. David speaks of this employment of worship then, this duty, if you will, and what it looks like. In fact, the heart of the psalm, I think, is the proclamation of the Lord's greatness. Many have asked me, uh, what is it that we do as believers or what is God's will for my life? And oftentimes they're looking for that small little decision that they have to make over the next little bit. My answer is, I don't necessarily know. Pray, read God's word, seek his wisdom, and then go do it. That's what God's word tells us to do. But ultimately what I do know is that God has told us what his will for us is. God has been very, very clear. So if you're looking for God's will in your life in the little things, you better be pursuing after the big things that God has already told us what to do, right? And so God says it here. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. Verse four, one generation shall commend your works to another. There it is. That's it. One generation shall commend your works to another. God's will for us is that not we not only know his greatness and his goodness, experience it, have it, be a part of it, but that we tell others about it. From one generation to the next, we tell others. Again, that's why we're here. Because generation after generation after generation, all the way down throughout history, has proclaimed the goodness and greatness of our glorious Savior. And we are representing those who have come. And there's a generation coming after us, right? There's one coming after us, and it's our job as we stand on this wall today to proclaim the goodness and greatness of God ourselves. And so every day, this is our job to generation from generation to commend the works to one another. Talk about the goodness and glory of God. That's what we do. Oftentimes we hear that the Old Testament was about come and see, you know, come and see who God is. And some of that may be true. The New Testament is about go and tell, but that's an oversimplification because there is never a time in God's word where we are to keep the glory of God, the nature of God, his majesty and his splendor to ourselves. There's never a time. Surely Jesus at one point said, hey, don't tell anybody yet, my time has not come, but only for that moment to where he would demonstrate openly and clearly on the cross his death for his people and that resurrection from that moment on. We have never, ever ceased to tell. Through the Old Testament, we are called to tell. We are to commend this work every single day. And how do we do that? It gives the progression right here. 
First, you must think about it. What is it that you focus your mind on? On the glorious splendor of his majesty and on his wondrous works, I will meditate. He says, first, what is it that we set our mind on? And the scripture's full of this. Set your mind on things above, not on things below. Whatever is pure, whatever is true, whatever is holy, whatever is right, whatever is just, think on those things. Whatever is lovely, think about those things, Paul says. The very heart of worship begins not only in our heart, but in our minds and what we think about. And when bad thoughts come into our mind, we got to treat them like a criminal coming into our house. You seize them and you get, the, you get rid of them and you fill your mind with the goodness of God and his glory. That's where it begins here for the psalmist. Consider his great works. Consider his goodness. Meditate on that, but that meditation doesn't stop there. What do you think about? What does he do next? What do you talk about? On his glorious splendor of your majesty, on his wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. What we think about and meditate on is what we speak about, right? It's what we love. By the way, we talk about this all the time. We talk about the things we love. We do. That's just the nature of life. You discuss the things you love. You say, Josh, I talk about my job all the time. Don't love my job. Still, you love it because it helps you. It pay, you know, gets food for you, right? We, we discuss the things. Think about the things we talk about. We talk about the stuff we love, our interests, our desires. And so it is David saying here is we love God, then why would we not be talking about him? Why would we not be thinking of him, talking about him? We think about him, we talk about him. We commend it. He says it on down in verse 10. All your works shall give thanks to you. All the saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom, tell of your power, make known to the children of, your, children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. He says, we think about him, we meditate on it, we speak about it. That's every day for us. Begin your day by meditating on the power and glory of God through his word and then go out and speak about it. Declare it. By the way, we always use words. Our words are beneficial to proclaim it. Sure, you're alive, but if you heard that little phrase, you know, you share the gospel and when necessary use words is meaningless and makes no sense in the scriptures. We always speak of his goodness. We share it, but not only that, look at what he does there. We think about it, we talk about it, and then finally, what's verse seven? They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. We think about it, we talk about it, then we sing about it. Then we sing about it. I find this to be interesting because I believe singing, singing is the outworking of a life of faith, trusting in the glorious riches of God. Singing is gonna flow naturally from recognizing the mighty works of God and who he is and what he's done. If we think about it and we speak about it, then we can only sing about it. It's what comes next. We sing of his mercy and his great, amazing grace. We sing of his faithfulness and goodness. We sing of his righteousness and his blessings. We sing of his great works and his majesty. We sing about all of these things. And surely even you may be thinking of those songs that you sing that remind us of who God is and what he's done. And that is right for the people of God. Singing is the natural outworking of our faith. And by the way, if you don't like singing, then you're probably not going to like heaven too much. Because what are the saints doing around the throne but singing? Why? Because their faith has been realized. 
God's glory is on display. And there's only one response in worship, but to sing of his greatness is the natural outworking of what we believe and what we follow. David says, I will praise you every day. Think about it. Speak about it. I'll sing about it. And then secondly, and finally, this is short. I will praise you forever and ever. Those are the two phrases in verse two. Every day I'll bless you and praise your name forever and ever. The everyday praising God and worship him is only preparation for the forever that is coming. Worship is the thing that will consume us for all eternity. Missions will not continue. Evangelism will not continue. Prayer even will not continue as we talk about. We will see him face to face. Everything else will be different. All of the things we do will not continue. What will continue for all eternity is worship of God's people around the throne. Worship will be there. It will continue. And what David is saying here is this is what I'm going to be doing. This is my employment forever. And why is God's greatness unsearchable important? Because we're going to spend eternity singing about it and the songs will never run out. David is indicating his belief here that this life is not the end, that there is one coming and the activity of that life is nothing but praise and worship to God. And when we read God's word and we see in the book of Revelation and other places, we see those songs around the throne. I love Revelation 15. They sang the song of the lamb. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. The song of the saints around the throne, it says. Surely, and we see all the others. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. The worship will be there forever and ever. And what David is saying is our everyday worship here is only practice for our eternal worship there. For his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. This king will never step down from his throne. This king will never face another coup. The coup already came and he conquered it on the cross. This king will never face a rise up rebellion. This king will only face the worship of his people. That's it. Forever and ever. Forever and ever. The closing verses, verse summarizes all. All of it. My Lord will speak the praise of the, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Someone said that oftentimes in our life we see these problems that come up that keep us from God. Materialism, we're trusting in the things of this world, but materialism is only the presenting problem. Lawlessness or sin. We're going against God's command, but lawlessness and sin is only the presenting problem. Selfishness, considering our, ourself greater than everyone else, but selfishness is only the presenting problem. And we can go on and on because the real problem, the real problem is not materialism and the real problem is not lawlessness and sin ultimately. The real problem is not selfishness. The real problem is we have lost our awe of God. And when you see God for who he is in his great and glorious majesty, you recognize that all the things of this world that you're counting on, that you're adding up, all the material possessions you have are nothing compared to what he is and who he is. 
when you see God for who he is in all his beauty and splendor, then you recognize that lawlessness falls apart because I want to please this one. I want to follow that one. That's the one I must answer to. And he is glorious and he is good and he is faithful. I want to pursue after him. When you see God in all of his awe and beauty and splendor, you recognize that it's not about me. The selfishness fades away. It's him. It's him we proclaim, not ourselves. See, that's what David's saying in Psalm 145. He's calling God's people to see the awe and majesty and greatness of God. And he just lets us skim the surface of how great he is. And that is enough. Just in Psalm 145, you get a display of the greatness of God that is enough for us to trust and follow every day of our life. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is faithful. He is righteous. He is good. He is good. Let's praise his name and worship him forever. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are and what you have done in our lives today. And there's some that may be here today, Father, that do not know you as God and King. And I pray today that they would give themselves to you, recognizing that the greatest employment they could enter into is the praise and worship of the one true and living God. And when we do, Father, never are we disappointed. But God, you are merciful and gracious, slow to anger and kind, faithful and righteous. And you are near to us. You are near. And so God, help us to recognize today just how near you are. For you are closer to us than our very fingertips. And anyone who calls upon you Anyone who calls upon you, you hear them, you see them, you know them, and you supply everything they could ever long for. So today, Father, may everyone in this room call upon you and recognizing and bowing to you as king and recognizing and seeing you for who you are and your awe and your beauty and your splendor and your goodness that we all worship you. We pray all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing.